Welcome to the Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast, a podcast created to inform patients, families, and caregivers about important health transformation topics. Since the 2001 Crossing the Quality Chasm Report by the Institute of Medicine, our nation's healthcare system has recognized its need to improve quality of care by way of six important aims that make healthcare safe, efficient, effective, patient-centered, timely, and equitable. But we cannot hope to cross this chasm and achieve these aims until we make fundamental changes to the whole healthcare system. All levels of this work require dramatic improvements from the patient's experience. So this podcast is dedicated to you, the voices most underutilized resource in healthcare, our patients' voices. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy the Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast. Well, we're excited today to have our guest, Nikki Montgomery, uh, in the studio with us, and our and my co-host, of course, Desiree Bradley. Welcome, ladies. Thank, Thank you. you. We're happy to be here. Yeah, no, super excited. So, um, Nikki, you have done a tremendous amount of, of work. When I looked at your bio, it was just really extensive um, with regards to the work that you've done with Rainbow Children's and other patient and family advisory councils. Talk to us a little bit about who Nikki Montgomery is and the type of work that you're doing in the healthcare space. Well, first, thank you for the opportunity to do this. Um, I am an educational psychologist by education, um, but I'm also a patient advocate and an author. And I am the mother of a child who is seven years old, and he was born with a complex genetic condition, which affects the way his muscles work. Um, my sister also had the same condition, and I'm a carrier for that condition. So being involved in the the hospital situation is something that has kind of come naturally to me because I've been involved all my life in some ways. Um, when my son was born, that really kind of catapulted me into advocacy in a new way because he had a complex condition that required a ventilator, a trach, and feeding tube and all of those different things. And so I had to bring home a very complex child and navigate that whole new world with very little direction. And so a lot of my involvements have been trying to pave a better pathway than the one that I saw paved for me when I first came into this world. Well, when I think about uh, what I just heard from you with regards to your son and the trach and just your need to be a real advocate uh, for your child, I think about Desiree and your story, Desiree, with, with Dionk. Yeah. Yes. You know, we have a, a lot in common being a special needs mom. You know, it's, we have a sisterhood bond mm-hmm. there. And so for me, um, when I first met Nikki, I was blown away just how much we are aligned with our children and also being um, strong advocates in that space. And so what really piqued my interest with Nikki was the fact that she has a book series called Super Safe Kids, and it is geared around safety. And so, you know, Nikki, I would love for you guys to share the wonderful things you're doing with Super Safe Kids and kind of tell us a little bit about what Super Safe Kids all is and and how did you come up with the concept? 
Well, thank you. Yeah, my um, when I first kind of dipped into writing books, it was when we first came home from the hospital with a fragile child, and I remember coming home from the hospital and the nurses at the hospital saying, "Oh, you'll be fine. You'll have nursing at home, and it's great." And then we got plunged into this whole new world of managing nurses at home, and it was not always the easiest. And so I went online for help. And when I started looking at other parents' experiences in different Facebook groups, I realized that they were spending a lot of time asking questions that should be reserved for a professional in these parent groups. And so that piqued my interest in how to communicate with parents of kids with special needs, particularly. And so my first book is Home Care CEO, A Parent's Guide to Managing In-Home Pediatric Nursing. And it just guides parents through the process of managing nursing inside your home. But then I realized so many of the resources are pointed at adults, and there are ways that children can be involved in their own safety and care as well. So the next a few books in the series are specifically geared toward children. So I have one that's called Central Line Safety for Children, for Kids, um, one that is Hospital Safety for Kids, and also Power Wheelchair Safety for Kids. And a lot of these were born of my own experiences with my son in the hospital setting. And having a lot of those materials for patients really being geared toward their parents. But at six and seven years old, he's capable of reading and understanding some ways to participate in his own safety. So I thought it was important to have things that are child facing in that world too. And it helps them to develop some advocacy and safety skills for themselves very early on. I love it. That That is absolutely amazing. And it really resonates with me because by my daughter, I say, is a frequent flyer of the healthcare environment. Mm-hmm. And so she's 11 years old. So giving her that empowering tools for her to be her own advocate is something that we don't see. A lot of times it's us, like you said earlier, right. it's us being their advocate and they are more than capable of advocating for their safe, for their safety, especially um, for their own safety. Right. And one of the things that is um, essential, like in hospital safety for kids, is when everyone comes into the room, you should know who they are, know what they're going to do, and be sure they've washed their hands. Those are great tools to carry into any hospital setting, and any child can do that. Just be the watcher and make sure hands are clean. And that's a great um, a great safety tool, a great infection prevention tool. And so starting with some of those basics of self-advocacy, I think, is important because our goal as parents is to make sure that eventually our children are able to advocate for themselves. And so my thought as an advocate is always not only can I do this myself, but how am I preparing my son to be as effective or more effective than I am as he grows up? So Nikki, I love it, love it, love it. Let me, let me ask this question. You've also done uh, work as president of the Patient and Family Partnership Council at Rainbow Babies Children's Hospital, and I'm certain that uh, that work has been impactful as well. Can you talk a little bit about your involvement on that board or that safety committee and yes. what that impact um, so- has has been like? Absolutely. Um, I started off um, when I first got my son's diagnosis, he was very young and we lived in Toledo, Ohio at the time. And what I did was I joined a patient and family partnership council at that hospital. So my first four-way was just trying to find a place with other parents who were like me and who had similar experiences. And then when my family moved to Cleveland, I knew to seek out the Patient and Family Partnership Council because I had been able to serve on the quality committee. I had had a lot of 
input when there were errors in the hospital, and I knew how important it was to have that kind of involvement. So when we moved to Cleveland and we decided that our care would be at Rainbow Babies and Children's, I made sure that, I, that one of the first things I did was seek out the Partnership Council. Um, since then, I've been uh, serving on the council. I was vice president of the council, and now I'm president of the council, and I was invited to the safety committee, and that actually really opened my eyes to the many efforts that go on behind the scenes that patients don't always appreciate fully uh, to keep the hospital safe, not just for the patients, but also for the employees. And so I've been able to work in work groups and work on different projects to reduce infections, um, to you know increase hand washing and make sure there's 100% compliance on all these different things. So um, that invitation was one that allowed me to really get in and get my hands into some of that work that's going on behind behind the scenes. And then I was also invited to the board and that's been a broader view of how hospitals fund themselves and find qualified uh, physicians and even just um, think of the philosophy of how they're gonna expand and serve more patients. And so I've had a really rich set of opportunities to see lots of sides of the care that occurs just for one child walking in the door. You know, I just have to add, that is truly refreshing for me, and it speaks volume to the leadership buy-in that you guys have at the organization to take it from, here I am as this uh, special needs mom to give my input to vice president and president of the council, and then integrated into the board and safety committee just speaks volume to that leadership buy-in, and we need more of that in our communities. Mm-hmm. We definitely do. Um our voices, I mean, because we're there so frequently, we have different experiences than you do walking in the door as an employee. Uh, we see different sides of things sometimes. And so it's lovely to be in an environment where that voice is welcomed. And uh, one of the stories I tell from time to time is that my son had a major um, incident last year when he had surgery and there was an error that resulted in him coding on the table. And, you know, my husband and I were unfortunately in the room to see all that. It was very traumatic. But one of the things that came out of it was after that, the hospital leadership was so open about what had happened, about how they were going to fix it. And we were able to have multiple meetings with leadership of the hospital. So we met with the president, the director of clinical safety, the safety director, all these different people who were open to listening to our experience and even listening to our suggestions about how to make things better. And what I love about the place we are now is that there is that kind of openness and that understanding that we cannot do this just as a hospital speaking to patients. We have to be talking together to make these things happen. What is the one most impactful or what is the one uh, initiative or thing that you've worked on uh, since you've been doing this advocacy work that you're most proud of? There's a lot, um, but one that really stands out is that the NICU fellows were going through a communication training, and they were learning to communicate better with families when they had to communicate bad news. And so they, we had these scenarios, and families came in to help them act out these scenarios. And it was just really touching the way that they they worked so hard to communicate effectively with us. And they were in that learning process at the beginning of their careers and all of that. But being able to help teach new doctors how to communicate effectively with families, how to share news with us, um, what things to, to say to make us feel calmer in a moment. Just that communication piece was really important to me and the way that they left feeling so empowered to do a better job. And that, you know, that next generation of physicians and making sure that we hit them early so they understand the importance of patient family and family impact was very important to me. 
Oh, that's music to my ears. I love it. I love it. I said, as they go on in their uh, careers, uh, that speaks to the culture, right? It's going to change the whole culture of the organization. So kudos to you guys for that. I may have to steal that from you guys, if you don't mind. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We welcome that. You know, um, whatever works, share it and spread it. I think that's a lovely thing. (laughs) Yeah, one of the... uh pieces that we are really adamant about um, in this work, uh, Nikki, is just really innovation. And it sounds like your perspective is really driving another level of innovation, you know, within the organization. Is there maybe one bit of advice that you might extend to the healthcare community as it relates to the use of patients in this quality improvement work that we're pushing forward? Yeah, I think don't be afraid of the patient voice. Um, you know, I, I think that sometimes hospitals and organizations have a tendency to be afraid to air dirty laundry in front of patients. And trust me, if you have dirty laundry, the patients are the ones experiencing it, so they know it exists. Mm-hmm. But that ability to be open and communicate and not be afraid to invite those voices in, it's not always going to be a song of praise. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes what you need to hear is the stuff that people are not having a great experience with in order to improve. And so if you're intimidated about you know, hearing negative things, I think that's that's one of the things that you have to be open to and hearing not just those glowing experiences, but the ones that were much more challenging to make that better for other people. And the other thing I would say is just be open to having a diverse set of voices because the people that we invite in can't just be people that make us comfortable. We have to invite everyone in, all voices, and that's all socioeconomic statuses, all races, all backgrounds. We need to be able to have a collective at the table. And so being open to and also being um, very, very aggressive in searching for people from various backgrounds to participate um, in those different groups and and panels is important too. Yeah, one thing that I share uh with hospitals is that when it comes to diversity and inclusion, that you have to be very intentional about that work, that it does not just happen. Uh, Mm -hmm. Oftentimes Mm -hmm. individuals will say, well, yeah, we have a diverse committee, we have a diverse council. And when you go about the pathway in which that happened, you find that even if diversity does truly exist, that often it happened haphazardly and it wasn't really intentional and so you have to be very intentional about diversity and inclusion in order uh, to really benefit from what diversity and inclusion procures in the innovation space Um, and so that starts off with you know how do you know what representation that you have around the table unless you're actually asking and collecting that type of data so that's a very important point thanks so much for sharing that Thank you. Yeah, I agree. Our council has become more diverse over time, um, but we still have work to do. We still have a tendency to have um, women with higher education, mostly women on the council. And so we still are working on continuing that depth in our council to include all different classes of people and multiple cultures of people as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we share that same kind of challenge here in my own advisory council, but 
I will say, and I, and I, I say this quite often, you know, volunteering your time is often a privilege mm-hmm. that most mm-hmm. of us do not have. And so relieving those barriers for those patients to come into that welcoming environment, whether it is, you know, offering uh, parking or some incentive to get them in the door, I think is important that most organizations really don't want to touch. It's like, oh, no, when we talk about budgeting, that's a no-no. But we have to really kind of tackle those social determinants of health to bring in that diversity into your advisory council, because if not, you, you're just spinning your wheels and having those like-minded, you know, oh, everything's great. So, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for um, adding that in there. You know, I always have my health equity hat on. <laughs> well, I'm going to add one one other uh, comment, and I'd love for both of you ladies to uh, respond to it. So one of the other opportunities that I think that we truly have in healthcare, in particular from an innovation space, is to really Uh, look at what continuity um, uh, appears to be, what the presence of it is, what the perspective of it is, what the experience of of it is for patients throughout the continuum of the healthcare experience. And I say that uh, from the eyes or the lens of being a mom, similar to you ladies who spent uh, many months, many days um, in the NICU, right? Um, with a with with my son who was um, uh, premature, born at you know twenty six weeks, and so as I look back, he's twenty two years old now, praise the Lord. But as I look back at our experience um, in the health system, it was very fragmented, right? As his, you know, um, developing from stage to stage and um, as he, even as he matured, you know, um, from one um, space, so being from a toddler, you know, to being school age, then from being school age to being a young man. I mean, it was just all the, all the pieces um, you know, that were connected in his care, uh, really seemed to be, you know, fragmented as we kind of matriculated over the years. And so I, I, w- I would wonder, you know, how you ladies feel about just the continuity of, of care and what that looks like, you know, when you think about your own experiences over the years with, with your child. Well, for me, having a child with a chronic condition means that we really do have a lot of that continuity because we're followed by some of the same doctors over the years. Uh, one of the things that our hospital has that I love is a comprehensive care clinic. So children who have more than four or five specialists see a clinic that kind of corrals the needs of that child across all of those specialties and follows that child as well. So it's almost like a second primary care, but a more complex primary care. Mm-hmm. So for us, that continuity has actually been pretty good. Um, home care has been much harder than hospital care for us, but that um, that hospital care has been pretty seamless so far with the exception of us moving from one city to the next, and that was a big transition. So the con- when we talk about the continuum of care, uh, you know, that transitions to what takes place um, at home as well and what those support systems look like. And so although when you enter into the system, many of those barriers are eradicated, once you get home, um, if that's the place in which you see, you know, the bears, it sounds like, you know, you st- there still is some of the same opportunities as well, because the continuum does look at not only just what happens inside the hospital, but also um, from a care transition standpoint, what happens, you know, once your, um, you know, child is, is discharged home. I'm just wondering, what are some of the, you know, specific things from an innovation standpoint, if there's one thing 
that you would say, you know, we need to do this better? What would be that one thing, Nikki? For me, the hardest part has always been having consistent home nurses for Mm -hmm. us because we have home nursing and making sure that the skill of those nurses is um, well matched for the child's needs. And so that has been a challenge for us from the time we brought him home at four months old with the trach. And I think that 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 home care side of things definitely needs to be beefed up so they meet the expectations of parents coming home and so that they have that um, appropriate skill level, appropriate experience level with children of all kinds who have all kinds of different conditions. So for for me, if there was a thing that I could change in healthcare immediately, it would be making sure that home care matches the quality, the design, the patient and family centeredness of hospital care. Girl, you have said enough. That is that <laughs> honestly <laughs> that is beautiful. Yes. And and you yes. know you know the reason why that really pricked my heart is because I'm just thinking about my friends that care for their parents in home, right? Mm-hmm. And and I'm thinking about my cousins and other uh, individuals that I know that have been cared for in the home setting and have required, you know, nursing over the long term. Uh, mm-hmm. that that has been the one consistent thing. I think back even to my grandmother, that is the one consistent thing that everyone, mm-hmm. you know, really uh, takes up issue with is is uh, the frequent change in staffing. And yeah. then even mm-hmm. when even when staffing is changed, oftentimes uh, there is a lot of inconsistency in competence and skill set. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, Absolutely. You, you have set a mouthful. Absolutely. You have set a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that's my full experience. Um, yeah. Just coming home, I remember my, my child's first night home with his trach. And the nurse that the agency had sent in did not know what to do when his oxygen saturation went down. And I was just appalled because I thought, I know what to do. Mm. They just trained me mm-hmm. what to do on what to do in the hospital. But I wanted to get sleep that night. And I expected that this nurse was who was going to be in my house overnight would know what to do. And mm-hmm. so it was just kind of terrifying to think of leaving my child in the care of somebody who panicked every time his oxygen mm-hmm. saturation hit a certain level. And I just thought, you're supposed to be the expert at this. What do I do here? You know, yeah. So, um, Desiree, I'm guessing you've had some of the same. Experience. Oh, yeah. You know, and then, too, when you think about it, like, you know, I remember also, well, we've had very similar circumstances with our nursing I think you said Natasha it is a theme across all boards but if we dig a little bit deeper it breaks the trust right so we're coming home with these medically complex children or you're coming home with uh, your your parent that has had a stroke and needs assistance or a spouse and you have these people coming into your space that you trust initially to do what you feel is adequate for them and then it doesn't turn out that way So what happens is the trust is now broken. So now we're breaking the trust between the healthcare system and really us as the patients. Mm -hmm. And so as we do get competent workers or nurses, aides to come into the home, that's double work on them to rebuild the trust that's already been broken by ABC nurse before. And so we can we can talk about this for many hours. It can go in all directions. But, you know, we think about you know, the post-traumatic stress of parents Mm -hmm. of medically complex kids is a real issue, which is a whole nother conversation. But, you know, it really, it it dives deep into so many other social um, aspects of the whole home health nursing. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to make certain that that one uh, piece gets passed along and that as we continue in this work, and I want you both to hold us accountable or hold me accountable, but as we continue in this work, let's build on what that looks like uh, because I think that that is a really big piece. Um, and we know that a lot of care is occurring now in the home setting. And, Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of what was happening in the hospital setting is now, you know, being shifted outpatient and then, you know, ultimately back into the home uh, setting. And so I I think that that's a space that we need to dig a little bit deeper and, and, uh, see if there is, uh, you know, something innovative that, um, we can move. Um, in the system towards driving improvements. I just want to thank you, Nikki, for sharing that because uh, that, that well, thank you. you know, we can we can we can move some an agenda with that. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm excited yeah. to see some change in that area. That would be yeah. Really yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think I think patient partner innovation community has got some next action steps. Absolutely, to do. <laughs> absolutely. Transition uh, transitioning care is a big topic, you know, today. And so we need to think about that. So thank you so much for joining us today, Nikki. I really appreciate you joining us on our Facebook Live. Desiree, Mm -hmm. tell our audience when the Facebook Live uh, occurs. Yes, you guys can join us on Facebook Live in the Patient Partner Innovation Facebook group. That will be Thursday, March 14th at 6 p.m. Central Time, which is 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So hope to see you guys there. Hi, this is Desiree Bradley, and I want you to be engaged. Why don't you come join me at Patient Partner Innovation Community? That's PPIC, P-P-I-C online.com. And don't forget to join us on Facebook as well.